the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Most of my referral partners were loyal to me. They were with me before I joined my most recent firm and are going to continue to be with me moving forward. And that's largely because I actually care about them. That's something that I think people really lack when they're trying to create referral relationships and you know networking relationships is a lot of people just sort of you know, go to an event and just load up a, a shotgun with business cards and just start spraying. But, you know, if you don't follow up, you know, ask questions about, you know, what are their kids' names? What does their wife or husband do? Where are they from? Where do they go to college? That sort of thing. Those are the types of questions and the types of interests that actually build relationships versus contact. And so that's been sort of my key to success over the last four years in building my practice is making sure that I'm, you know, constantly following up. Run your law firm the right, way. the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Hey, Tyson. How is Chicago? I know you went to see Fleetwood Mac. It was great. It was a, an excellent concert for everyone that's been to a Fleetwood Mac concert. I think that you probably agree. It's probably one of the best concerts you can go to. Yeah, they may be old. They may not have what they used to have, but it was still really incredible. I mean, just the show in general was amazing. Were you the youngest person there by 40 years? You know, I was expecting a lot of older people. There were older people, but there, there was a good mix of young people. It was a diverse crowd. I did not expect it, honestly. It was uh, it was a great crowd. I would have zero interest in seeing Fleetwood Mac, and I doubt that I would think it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. That surprises me, given your age. So I, uh, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that surprised me. All right, well, let's get to it. Today we have, this is a first. We have someone who has launched his own firm, and today's day one of that firm. Paul Yokobitis is with us from North Carolina. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Paul, just give us your mindset. How are you feeling? I'm pretty pumped, actually. You know, I had probably less lead time than I would have wanted, but this has sort of been in the back of my mind. I've always kind of been one of those people that has that entrepreneurial burn in the stomach, and it was always sort of one of those things where it was a win, not an if. So, then, uh, you know, a lot of preparation. I had a lot of stuff separate already. So, you know, I'm just pumped, ready to roll. Paul, talk to us about law school and then your experience after law school. Yeah, so I'm from Michigan originally. I went to undergrad outside of Grand Rapids, Grand Valley State University is the school. And then, so I graduated in 2010, which we were knee deep in the recession. 
and was looking at law schools and I'm the baby of the family and my mom and stepdad had moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina. So when I was looking around, I looked at Campbell University School of Law, which had just moved to Raleigh from a very rural town called Bowie's Creek the year before. And then I was looking at Michigan State and I'm a massive University of Michigan fan. So it would have been literally like cutting my own heart out to go to Michigan State. So I ended up moving down the summer of 2010 to start law school that fall at Campbell. And Campbell is somewhat of a, uh, a smaller Baptist school, but it's law school is right in the heart of Raleigh, which is the capital of North Carolina. So it had a lot of great access to stuff like uh, government internships, the Supreme Court, Court of Appeals, the U.S. District Court, the DOJ, a lot of stuff in Raleigh. And then certainly it's a significant sized city. It's metro area is about a half million people. So it had a lot of great opportunity and, and best of all, has very little snow, which I grew up with, you know, 12 inches at a time was, was pretty regular occurrence. And then, you know, job wise, you know, the economy was booming here is one of the areas that, you know, wasn't really impacted by the recession too much. So it rebounded nicely. Actually in law school, I started focusing on litigation and that was what I did for the first year out. I worked for a small firm in Cary. Cary is a suburb of Raleigh, about 160,000 people. It's it's a little more affluent. It's where a lot of tech jobs, people who have tech jobs live. We're kind of famous for the Research Triangle Park. You know, companies like Cisco and IBM and stuff like that live here or are located here. So Cary is sort of somewhat of an inside joke that it's uh, the containment area for relocated Yankees, C-A-R-Y, because of a lot of people who move down here from like Pittsburgh and New York and that sort of stuff for for tech jobs. So super friendly to somebody from Michigan because that was a little more the rule than the exception. But my first job out, I was doing insurance defense litigation for companies like USAA and uh, Liberty Mutual and a few other insurance companies, fender benders, that sort of stuff. I actually did the entire state of North Carolina diminished value claims, which is when a car gets struck and it's not a total loss. So they'll pay for the car to be repaired as best as possible, usually with aftermarket parts and that sort of stuff. And then the the person who is struck basically requests diminished value, what the car is, or less what the car is worth now. So I would do the entire state of North Carolina, basically small claims and that sort of stuff for anything from, you know, 500 to $5,000 claims for diminished value and that sort of thing. It didn't take long for me to realize that litigation really wasn't my thing. And it actually coincided with the birth of my oldest son, Mason, about four years ago. I was prepping up a trial about a month after he was born for this massive go-kart accident case where we were defending the go-kart facility. And just so happened to start the Monday following Thanksgiving. And so I was in the office about 16 hours each day, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, through Sunday, that entire Thanksgiving weekend, prepping up the case that settled at lunch after we picked a jury. So that was sort of a, a rude awakening that that was probably going to be my life moving forward if I kept, you know, insurance defense practice. And I really valued that, you know, quality time with my wife and my son. I now have two kids. But at that point, I really started making the, the pivot over to a planning practice and uh, I haven't looked back. So now I currently do estate planning, elder law, some probate work, and then some uh, business formations and acquisitions. And uh, I've done that for the last four years. So, Paul, now that you've practiced for a little bit, what is your opinion on attorneys that start their firm right out of law school as opposed to someone that works a little bit and then starts their firm? I honestly, you know, it would have been a very different path for me had I done that. 
I had the, the benefit of building up a network and getting referral partners and that sort of stuff over the last four years that have really incubated this uh, launch for me that, you know, I think these days it's probably easier to, you know, bootstrap and hang your shingle from, you know, graduation date or, or as soon as you start, um, you know, you get licensed and sworn in and that sort of thing. But I don't know how anybody does it. I, I got a lot of respect for, for anybody who does, you know, most importantly, because you don't know what sort of systems and processes, you know, you need to put in. Probably the most valuable aspect of my work experience has been learning how to do the business side of law, you know, learning what sort of systems and processes and workflows and, you know, how to treat customers and clients and that sort of stuff. And, and that's just something you don't know coming out of law school. So unless somebody is sort of bootstrapping it and also doing like doc review or, or some other job, I don't know how, how I would do that. I don't know how anybody does that, but certainly plenty of people make it work. So, Paul, how have you spent your time in the ramp up to launching the firm? It's been a lot of research. Like, you know, there's so many options as far as like vendors for software and, and that sort of thing. A lot of it was sort of building out what what I would want to have my practice look like based on what my practice has previously looked like. And I was fortunate. I just recently left a firm that does very good. They did a very good job of, you know, really structuring the prospect and, you know, the, the, the before and the during phase. So I was able to really take a lot of, you know, key points and, you know, solid systems and processes from them. But it's just been a lot of trying to develop that workflow and trying to develop the customer experience and the templates and that sort of thing. So like even this morning, I'm sort of, you know, I was able to take a bunch of clients with me. And so I'm sort of pumping them into Clio now and getting their matters set up and getting their billing and, and those sorts of things organized. And it's, I'm sort of making this realization that this process and system improvement is sort of a daily thing. I recently purchased and have been listening to the book Clockwork, which is by uh, Michael McCallowitz, I think his name, the guy who wrote Profit First and Pumpkin Plan and that sort of thing. And, and that's sort of uh, giving me some additional ideas of how to create the processes and systems and efficiencies, what I can delegate, what I can trim down, and those sort of things. And it's really giving me a path to what my first hire will end up being, which is likely going to be somebody to do sort of the back and forth with, with uh, clients and that sort of stuff. So. That's really what I've been trying to do is, you know, line things up for a successful start, you know, get clients on the calendar, prospects on the calendar and that sort of thing, and then just kind of get organized. And it seems to be sort of something that's evolving on a daily basis. So from a marketing perspective, what are your first steps? What are the first things that you're going to do? I kind of just picked up from where I left off. For the last three years, I've had my own website that I started two firms ago, brought with me to my most recent firm, and then just kept. So I paid their hosting fees, I paid the, the theme fees and that sort of stuff. All the domain registration was under my name and that sort of thing so I could keep it separately. So that's always been there. I just sort of flipped the logo and changed some of the copyright language and uh, disclaimer language and that sort of stuff. But my marketing success has really been on creating and maintaining, really nurturing deep relationships over time with my clients and with key referral partners. For me, I get a lot of clients from financial advisors doing estate planning. We're all kind of talking about the same thing. So a lot of it was just reaching out to these key partners well ahead of time, sort of giving them an indication that a change is happening. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been just sort of like tailoring and making sure my list was organized. I had, I think, about 650 people on my CRM that I uploaded into MailChimp and got sort of an announcement email out, just sort of making touches back to the people who have consistently supported my practice. And so a lot of it was just sort of, you know, carrying on from what I was already doing. Most of my referral partners were loyal to me. They were with me before I joined my most recent firm and are going to continue to be with me 
moving forward. And that's largely because I actually care about them. That's something that I think people really lack when they're trying to create referral relationships and, you know, networking relationships is a lot of people just sort of, you know, go to an event and just you know, load up a, a shotgun with business cards and just start spraying. But, you know, if you don't follow up, you know, ask questions about, you know, what are their kids' names? What, is, what does their wife or husband do? Where are they from? Where do they go to college? That sort of thing. Those are the types of questions and the types of interests that actually build relationships versus contacts. And so that's been sort of my key to success over the last four years in building my practice is making sure that I'm, you know, constantly following up, giving touches, uh, meaningful touches, whether that's gifting, taking people out for beers, you know, reaching out if their, you know, spouse or a child has had a, a medical procedure, those sorts of things, just sort of high touch, deep relationships. And then, of course, I've got, you know, social media and, and, you know, website content and that sort of stuff. But one thing I'm going to be doing this week is prior to leaving, I bought a bunch of video equipment, um, like, you know, backdrop and light boxes and that sort of stuff off Amazon for like 120 bucks. I'm going to set it up in my home office and just start plowing through some frequently asked questions videos and get them on YouTube as soon as I can. And then probably using TubeBuddy, as Jim recommended, to optimize all that. That sounds like all good stuff that you're working on, Paul. I remember when I started my firm, one of the things that we did is we had a party and we invited everybody we knew to the party. And then we got some coverage in the local newspaper talking about our new immigration practice. And then that coverage got me my first deportation case. You might think about having a party, but yeah, that's uh, a good idea. and the videos are a great idea. You know, obviously I'm a big believer in video. How do you intend to spend your time? What's your structure of your week going to look like for these first couple of months? Yeah, so my method is a little bit different because I've got two offices just from day one that I'm going to be operating out of, one in Raleigh, one in Cary, and it's largely because I'm collaborating with two other law firms. So one is my my first employer, so they they sort of welcomed me back in uh, a separate but collaborative role. So I'll essentially be taking clients at their office and and sort of you know using you know having exclusive use on two days out of the week of their conference room. And then using their staff for witnessing and that sort of stuff for estate plan signings. And then they don't have a state planning currently as a practice area or an offering for their clients. So if clients of theirs need estate planning services, they'll essentially refer them to me. And then we'll work out or we have worked out essentially a, a referral fee relationship on that end. And then I have that same relationship with another firm in Raleigh. So my goal is to do two days in carry, one day in Raleigh, and then the other two days work on marketing and client service. And it's looking like it's probably going to be Monday and Wednesday are my marketing and client service days. So just sort of grinder type days. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Friday will be the um, client meeting days. And then I traditionally do more like block scheduling. So I'll have two or three hours in the morning that I have open for consultations and then two or three hours in the afternoon. And then the rest of the day, it's like email triage or, you know, return of phone calls, that sort of stuff. So Paul, it sounds like you have a lot of things already organized and planned out. I mean, what are you going to do about phones and things like that? Are you going to answer your own phone or did you, did you hire an answering service? Yeah. So I have essentially a setup where I'm answering my own phone right now. And it's really just until I've uh, worked out the logistics of moving things over to smith.ai. But I'm running into a little bit of a logistical issue because I ended up using a company called Sideline, which is essentially a second phone app on your phone, but it piggybacks to your existing wireless network. So it's not, you know, you're not purchasing minutes or anything like that. And then it just rings and calls through the separate phone app. 
much like most, you know, voice over IP, you know, cell phone apps would do. The issue is that they don't do call transfers. So I can't receive calls or have them forwarded essentially to Smith.ai. So I guess the solution, and it's not a great solution, is they've essentially said that I need to port my number over to Smith.ai and then get a secondary number, which would be, I guess, more of an equivalent to like a direct line number, you know, at a, at a tr traditional law firm. But the porting can take up to a week. So I may have sort of like this dead zone, you know, where my phone number just doesn't work, which is not an ideal situation. So the other option is to sideline has an option called team phone or team line where you can have that app replicated on another person's line and have essentially the phone ring across all phones who are on that line. And then essentially have my wife triage phone calls sort of in the short term until I have everything figured out. But it's one of those things where, you know, small mistakes can uh, add up and it, you know, I just didn't do my sufficient research on sideline and, and the logistics of, the call transfer system to our, a virtual receptionist. But ultimately, my goal is to have outsourced reception so that I'm not answering the phone at all and then not even doing live transfers. I'll just return calls at the end of the day kind of thing. What are you thinking about these days? Like, what are you worried about or what's on your horizon of things that you're you're focused on? So my strength has always been business development. Like, I, I can usually get business to come to the door pretty quickly and pretty consistently. But my, my weakness from, like, an e-myth, you know, perspective is the management. So organization, task follow-ups, that sort of stuff. So my concern currently is sort of just keeping everything organized, not just the practice of law, but, you know, the bookkeeping and invoices and expenses and that sort of stuff all together until I've got enough revenue so I can hire it out to someone else. So it's sort of all hands on deck at the outset. And, and my wife is sort of pinch hitting as much as she can, but she's also watching our kids and that sort of thing. So I just got to basically put the pedal down to the floor for the first couple months until I've got consistent revenue and then uh, hire out the stuff that I'm not good at uh, or that I'm not the best at. But yeah, I mean, October looks good as far as consultations. I've got 14 lined up for the rest of the month, but nothing in November. So sort of keeping that pipeline full is always going to be a concern. Uh, you know, since my wife stays home, I'm, I'm it. You know, it's, it's sort of, you know, we sink or swim based on my efforts. So that's always sort of in the back of my mind currently, but it's just little things, little things that, that I haven't had to deal with in firm settings that, that I'm now experiencing for the first time and just sort of keeping everything organized. Paul, I'm really glad you mentioned the bookkeeping aspect of things. I think that when you start your firm, it's the one chance you have to set things up correctly. And I would encourage you to spend a little bit of money to consult with someone who might not be your long-term accountant, but at least to help them get your account set up in QuickBooks or whatever you're using. Because if you don't set it up correctly right out of the box, it's really going to set you up for a lot of confusion and headaches later. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. And that's sort of the thing is, you know, I'm sort of realizing like what, what I can DIY and, and what things are probably not ideal for me to do myself, or even if, even if it's sort of, something I could learn over the weekend. If I take a course on Udemy or something like that, it's, it's probably best that I not do that sort of thing. I've never been strong on, on accounting generally. So that's, some, that's one of the first things I wanted to outsource. But yeah, that's good advice. I'll do that sooner rather than later. My question to you is five years from now, what, what's your firm look like? What are you doing? Yeah, I really like the marketing aspect and the client meetings, the client consultations and signings. I've always had sort of, you know, I grew up in, uh, you know, working in restaurants and retail and that sort of thing. And, and I, I kind of credit that to 
my success today is being able to, to interact, you know, productively with other people on their best and worst days. And so I've grown to really like that personal face-to-face interaction. So I really like doing the rainmaking, you know, going out and meeting with referral partners and then, you know, meeting with clients, coming up with a plan strategy and, uh, you know, putting it forward through implementation all the way to signing. But what I don't like doing is sort of the menial stuff. So what I'd like to do is sort of stay in it, stay, stay an active owner, but delegate and, and hire as much as I possibly can for the stuff that either it doesn't make sense for me to do or, or I don't like doing or doesn't, you know, it's, I'm just not good at. So a lot of that's going to be like social media. I currently kind of have that on autopilot through just a software setup called Social Bees. And then the sort of the back and forth, I'll probably have, let's see, five years, I'll probably have one or two associate attorneys and then probably five staff members by that point, just sort of on client service follow-up. That's sort of been a, a, a big distinguishing piece between my firm and a lot of others in estate planning is, is the client experience and client service, you know, really creating something that they want to tell their friends about. And so that ends up being kind of a high touch and, you know, high staff need, you know, thing to implement. So that's probably going to be one of my first hires is once the revenue starts, you know, coming in as somebody to, to be sort of a client services director, to do email triage, to, to greet people as they come in the door and that sort of thing. But I'd like to be still active in the day-to-day practice of the business, but probably not every single consult, every single signing, that sort of thing. But I don't really know that I'll ever be the sort of remote or removed owner just because I do like that client interaction so much. But probably much bigger, I'd say probably a medium-sized firm, eight to ten people. We're speaking with Paul Yokobitis. He's a estate planning attorney, just opened his own practice down in Cary, North Carolina. Paul, with the two different locations, I'm wondering why did you decide to include your location of Cary in your firm name? The Big thing is I'm really invested in the Cary community generally. I'm really involved in nonprofits there and the Cary Chamber of Commerce and that sort of thing. But the big thing was keyword and, and local SEO and, and that sort of stuff. So people would generally be searching things like Cary Estate Planning Lawyer. My firm would pop up as one of the top results. I really opted to have a Raleigh office as a convenience for clients who may live in Raleigh but may still be referred to me. There's somewhat of an unspoken divide between Cary residents and Raleigh residents where Raleigh residents don't like going to Cary for stuff and vice versa. So having accessibility was always very important for me, especially with, you know, referral partners who are in Raleigh, who have clients who are in Raleigh. So it wasn't super important for me to have, you know, Raleigh-based, you know, search results or, or, um, you know, a lot of SEO in that market. I really just have it as kind of a secondary location. But Cary estate planning, there's, it, what's unique about Cary is the lawyer saturation is actually really low. There's probably 200 lawyers total in Cary. There's probably 2,000 in, in Raleigh. And Raleigh's got about 500,000 people, and Cary's got almost 175,000. So, I mean, the competition is not even close in Cary. But I've also made a lot of really great connections in the Cary area for referrals. And so, you know, being, you know, ingrained in and, and committed to the Cary community was important to me. But, you know, truth be told, it was largely driven by SEO and, um, you know, keyword-based search. So, Paul, I'm looking at uh, Cary and Raleigh on a map, and they're 16, 17 minutes apart from each other. I don't know, like, wouldn't it make more sense? I understand the SEO part of it, but wouldn't it make more sense to just have one office more centralized? It would for some 
practice areas. What I've experienced over the last four years doing this is that people are way more geographically sensitive to planning practices than they are to stuff like personal injury, immigration, that sort of stuff, because it's a lot more parallel to financial planning where, you know, people get a lot of traction within, you know, four to five mile, you know, radius from their office. And generally people just don't want to go across town to sit down and have a meeting about estate planning. At least that's been my experience and, you know, the experience of a lot of lawyer friends of mine who do the same thing. So that's generally, you know, why I have one more than one office. I will traditionally do signings just out of the carry office. But my goal is actually to set up a second carry office next year. Um, you'll probably see looking at that map, carries 54 square miles in size. And I'm on the south end off of US-1 uh, currently, but I'd like to be on the north and west end, which is an incredibly affluent neighborhood that doesn't have really any estate planning lawyers on that side of town. So that's actually my um, goal in probably first quarter 2019 is to set up a, a second carry office. Paul, I'm wondering, how did you come across our podcast and which of our episodes did you find the most helpful? Oh, geez. I actually really liked the um, the most recent one on digital versus referral marketing. Awesome. Because I implement a little bit of both, but I actually found Maximum Lawyer just from searching on, on a podcast database, probably, I think y'all were at maybe episode three or four. So I've been with it since pretty close to the very beginning. I'm kind of a legal marketing and podcast junkie. So I had originally started with um, building the law firm podcast. I forgot who the, the lawyers who has that one out in Washington and then um, JD blogger and, and a few others. So, you know, as those sort of petered off or, or had less consistent episode publishing, I started seeking out more and more and, you know, y'all have stood the test of time. I mean, usually people don't make it this long without, you know, giving up or having some, publishing inconsistencies that sort of impact their listener base. But I generally try to listen to what's out there that's quality, and you guys are definitely rising to the top for sure. All right. So I want to be respectful of your time, Paul. So I want to uh, start to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook page, get involved in the discussion there. People like Paul are there giving great advice. Also go to iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, give the five-star review there. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? All right. So, you know, I just got back from the Clio Cloud Conference down in New Orleans, and it was great. Tyson, I would say that it didn't rise to the level of our old favorite icon conferences, but it's pretty darn close. And next year, as if by fate, the Clio Cloud Conference is going to be held in San Diego, which, as you know, is my dream to open our new office. So I was very excited about that. But while I was there, I got to connect several times with our friend Billy Tarasio, who has been on our show. She won an award from Clio and she gave a great presentation. And she talked a little bit about what she talked about when we had her on the show. And that is how she's really been focused on increasing her conversion. So not so much about the leads, but getting more leads scheduled. And then after they are scheduled, getting the consults to actually take place. And by tweaking her system and focusing really hard, having the whole firm focus on conversions or signups, she was able to boost her number of new clients every month from like 15 to 22. And it, it raised her monthly revenue from like 97,500 to almost 150,000 a month. So I think that we're always so often focused on leads, but really if we're focusing more on conversions and, and sort of tracking that stuff, I think it's going to really give us more bang for our buck when it comes to marketing. 
That's incredible. And Billy is just an amazing attorney. If you don't know Billy, get to know Billy. She knows how to run a business. She knows how to practice law. She's amazing. All right, Paul, you know the routine. What's uh, your tip of the week? Yeah, so it's a software that I've recently uh, been checking out. I think I'm going to implement soon. It's called BombBomb, B-O-M-B-B-O-M-B, one word. And it's an email platform that hosts native video. So you can actually send video within the body of the, the email text without it being redirected to another website. And what's really cool is obviously they can play the video within the email text or within the body of the email. But you can also live record within the Compose. So if you're in Gmail, for instance, there's this little you know jump pad in the bottom right corner where the send button normally would be. And it's got a record button. So you can, instead of responding to emails with, with text responses, like like for me, people will reach out and say, like, you know, what's the difference between an executor and a trustee or something like that? I can just record myself telling them verbally, you know, face-to-face essentially for them what the response would be instead of typing it out. And obviously for that sense, I can just direct them to a frequently asked questions page. But it gives a lot more interaction to the client, a lot more face time, and it actually would cut down time for a lot of practitioners who are who are generally typing out all these responses, it's generally about fifty bucks a month. So it would replace something like a Mailchimp or, or some other you know email platform. So I think I'm going to pull the trigger on that pretty soon. I didn't realize it was that that interactive. That's pretty awesome. I know Larry Weinstein absolutely loves BombBomb. He sends me videos every once in a while. I think it's, actually it's pretty effective. So I'll have to check it out again. I guess. All right, my tip of the week is I love writing on whiteboards. We've got, we've actually painted whiteboards on our walls at our offices, which are very helpful. But something in full disclosure, it's not the smoothest surface sometimes, and so it's not as clean as a as a regular whiteboard. So what there's a couple other spots in our offices that we wanted to put whiteboards, and so I, I kept seeing these ads for writingboards.com. Go there and. I was really skeptical because they send it to you in this tube and you roll it out. I figured there'd be a bunch of bubbles. It, it actually went on really well. I, I really do like it. I've been using it for about a week. I really like it. So check it out, writingboards.com. It's a, it's a really good one. Paul, thank you so much. It's great having you on, especially in the middle of all this going on in your life. So thank you so much for coming on and, and good luck in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Bye, fellas. All right, see you. Good job. Oh, great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.